Though it seems if one were to put a post-COVID lens on and attempt to predict what consumer trends may look like in the future, we could potentially fail by design. Now, consumers are changing quickly, yes, but so quick that the consumer journey has seen a shift in transformation, perhaps unlike ever before, you know, at least maybe in the digital age. Now, picture November 2019, before the progression of what we now know as the early stages of the pandemic. Consumers behave differently. It's just simple. Um, What was normal then may be a bit different now. For instance, going to your bank feels different. Uh, Purchasing or product researching simply feels different. Um, You know, take perhaps a purchase journey of a new exercise bike. You know, that could be different for one of two reasons. One, you might have not even been in the marketplace for an exercise bike prior to the pandemic. And two, it actually became quite tough to try these products out in-house. Not being able to demo the high demand in product and the competition subscriptions, you name it, the pandemic really made it challenging to procure exercise equipment. Now, ironically, the consumer needs to purchase, you know, this equipment may have been different for different reasons, even if the pandemic all brought them there to begin with. You know, some people may have just had more time on their hands and therefore were looking to better their lifestyle. So they went ahead and and tried to procure home exercise equipment. Others could have been looking for a temporary alternative to their gym routine until things maybe felt a little bit more normal for their return. Now, I'm sure the pandemic has played a hand in many organizations shifting their product offerings or their services to deal with the impact of the coronavirus. But it is important to note that not every business might understand the intent of a consumer as their market shifts due to these challenging demands. Now, consumer research, knowing your customer in maybe the both present as well as the future can help you perhaps understand that target audience wants and needs profile a little bit better, especially maybe when there is challenging, you know, changes to the marketplace. Um, And I think that's why I'm really excited to introduce my next guest today, Jeremy King, the CEO of Attest, a survey platform with the business intelligent aimed to taking the guesswork out of consumer research. A test provides confidence in every decision with the right insight at the right time. It's redefining consumer research. Jeremy and I touch on impacts of consumer behaviors as the pandemic hit and everything that has happened since. We've explored behaviors that arose in early 2020 and those that have shifted through his experience as CEO of a test. We explore how COVID has accelerated the demand for innovation among businesses in the B2C environments. And aside from the pandemic, we actually discuss how consumer profiling can uncover target audience needs, especially when existing changes to the marketplace are occurring. Jeremy provides advice for businesses interested in learning how to start consumer profiling and how brands can actually use these insights and turn them into action. Finally, we talk about creative testing and how consumer research can avoid any negative response to a brand's creative. All this and more on episode 25 of SOMR, Stories of Market Research, the Insightrix podcast.
welcome our guest on today's episode, Jeremy King. He's the CEO and founder at Atess, a software as a service technology company based in London and New York. The Atest platform enables companies to engage directly with more than 100 million consumers across 45 countries, starting in just 90 seconds. And now I don't want to take the shine off Atest, so please, Jeremy, tell us more about yourself. Uh, maybe tell us more about Atest, your role as CEO. I understand you guys have been around for just over uh, six years here. So tell us maybe how it got started and, and maybe catch us up to speed. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. Today, we're uh, over 130 people. We have approaching 200 different clients, all sorts of exciting things. But going back uh, six years ago, we were just a set of ideas and people with no product, no specific tech, but an ambition to offer research to far more people for far more things far more often. Um, why I care about this problem personally is I'm originally a, a scientist. I worked on what's now called synthetic biology, things to do with animal behavior and genetics and ecology and understanding how different biological systems work. So I have a big personal love for data, hypothesis-driven problem solving and putting facts and information where there was nothing before. Um, I then spent nine years at McKinsey, which is a big strategy consulting company. I worked in many different countries on lots of exotic things, but I always saw that people need far more research than exists. Uh, there's often gaps in any company's knowledge of their target market, of their consumers, of the latest trends. Uh, they are looking for information to help them choose which innovations will succeed, which ads to launch which countries to enter next, which segments like them and don't like them, and why do they dislike them and like them? These are the things that power the best businesses and what causes them to grow faster. But for some reason, it was quite hard for many businesses to get this and for many different personas and many different businesses to get what they needed. And I thought as a scientist, this is not only you know dissatisfactory, it's also morally wrong. You should be able to put data where you've got nothing and it should be so easy, like me in a lab with fruit flies, just testing and learning. And that's really the genesis of a test. It's making it far easier for far more people to do more research more often. And hence our mission and vision. We believe that our clients have intuition that they want to inform and doubt they want to dissolve. And our role is to inform every intuition and dissolve every doubt by making it so easy to do research. You can do it whenever you want to all the time because it's as easy as sending an email. And that's kind of the core of what we do. Um, we are lucky to be now larger scale with more clients and some fundings along the way. But the much broader vision and ambition is far, far bigger than where we are today. Awesome. Yeah, as they say, uh, fall quickly, fail cheaply, I can only assume. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And more and more research is becoming a much quicker environment. People are expecting their insights uh, often at a much quicker pace. So even insights professionals using these types of software services, I think is going to be definitely more prevalent as we move forward, if not already what we're dealing with. So, um, you know, I, I think it's no question that COVID-19 has impacted the way that we live. Uh, 
uh, work socialize everything um, even more so you know it's accelerating the demand for innovation among businesses in retail consumer goods etc um, and it's as if they're shifting from reacting to a crisis to potentially reinventing new products and services that could support a consumer's say new purchase behavior now at the onset of the pandemic again people were prioritizing say purchasing essentials uh, we were all even joking about things like toilet paper being a, a bit of one of those uh, symbolic examples of such but uh, in reality it was uh, an example of impulsive behaviors in terms of a purchasing a consumer journey so as we look towards the future Jeremy one question kind of remains I think for market research industries and that's what purchase behaviors will likely stick around post pandemic and perhaps in your experience with the test and working with clients how how have you seen businesses maybe conducting research, say, with maybe your technology to understand the consumers, their current behaviors, and again, what these future purchasing habits may be? Yeah, let me start with the second one, because the first one is much more my opinion, and the second one is kind of <laughs> actual facts that I can share. So we saw, we saw two very interesting impacts as the pandemic hit and then everything that's happened since. So... Between February 2020 and the end of April 2020, we saw this just massive uptick in activity rates and attention for existing attest clients, prospective attest users, and just what they wanted to know. Um, it seems as though our clients, users, and prospective clients, they all knew that things were happening in the world of consumers and it was vital to them to understand what it was and what we should do about it and what's next and how is that changing on a monthly, weekly, daily basis. And that was super interesting to see. So we saw this huge uptick in demand and we were worried that that would somehow fall away. In fact, we've had the same growth rate we've had before, just with this huge step up in activity and then it's grown further even since. We've bunch of, done a bunch of stuff in our product that sort of helped with that. But this is great news for us because our, our mission is to allow people to do this more often. And we saw that. Uh, and the really interesting thing is businesses created the demand for more research and realized this was more important, which as you know, people in the research industry is super exciting, but also very important deep down. I think the most interesting case study we saw was we had one client, um, I can't name them, but they're a, a, a large company. Um, uh, multi-site multi retailer in the UK, they started doing research every day and what they were researching every day changed completely. Uh, it was so exciting to see. We've got a bunch of clients who do things that are kind of longitudinal and they're exploring trends over time. We've got a bunch of other clients that are testing ideas, but it's kind of when they come around to those ideas. This client said, we're going to have benefit of testing and learning every day, but what we're going to test and what we want to learn about what the priority is that's going to shift every day. And mm. we sort of talked about this like it was a moving target. And they were researching everything from home delivery stops for groceries. How should it be chosen? Should we put healthcare workers first and you're happy to wait three days because healthcare workers were first? Or do you want that to be the other way around? Um, then all the way through to sustainability. This in February was one of the most important things. Where does that stack up now relative to availability, affordability, and fairness in booking different delivery slots, but also different product items and how we can actually get hold of them. So it was fascinating to see specific clients change overnight what they expected from research, the frequency of their behavior, but also the content that they were going after. And it seems that this is almost a permanent shift now. We're now 18 months later and we still have 
many more clients behaving that way. But that was one client that just started doing things very differently. And I think they saw a lot of benefits from doing it. Absolutely. I think you made a really great point about clients kind of getting on that transformation process a lot quicker. You know, there's a lot of arguments and theories that, you know, most businesses are meeting a, you know, 40 year acceleration in digital transformation. So here's an example where research often is looked at traditionally in terms of more scope. Uh, but I think we as a market research firm ourselves are even trying to challenge that, that us as, us as firms, excuse me, I think are looking at how to, again, accelerate these innovations to some degree and actually provide our clients with much quicker in, insights than I think we've ever have before. And that is at the expectation of the clients. I think they're, they're much more ready uh, and ready to get these feedback cycles kind of going and going quickly so we're definitely seeing it on our end and we're definitely seeing it with a lot of the vendors that we're working uh, with that provide this service so it's no surprise that you guys are feeling this on your end as well 18 months later as you said we're starting to uh, see some of these purchase behaviors maybe uh, stick in terms of online shopping behaviors as you mentioned working with some clients that are, are looking at how these folks are are actually navigating some of this I myself have even started online grocery shopping it's not even you know a reality uh, for me maybe two or three years ago and now it's actually quite a big part of uh, my daily lifestyle so um, you know I think again aside the pandemic what are other areas of market research that you're seeing is changing because of this maybe quote-unquote new normal so you give a really good example of working with a client perhaps that is starting to shift focus and maybe a quicker feedback loop but um, you know what you know what are maybe some of these examples yeah, I mean, here's one that I can name. So I think we've seen a, a number of clients being bolder and looking for bolder moves. Um, as I mentioned, we exist to inform every intuition, resolve any doubt. Intuition being an idea that you've got and how right are you and which are ideas that are right or wrong and how right or wrong are they? Dissolve any doubt is how far to take it. Uh, and I think my favorite example from this calendar year so far is a company called Bloom and Wild. They, uh, London-based company, now the biggest online flower delivery company in Europe. And they started as a company that puts flowers for your letterbox um, on a subscription basis or on a gift basis for any occasion. It's become a lot bigger since then. They've made a few acquisitions recently. But they had this crazy idea. So they were kind of thinking about Valentine's Day and their brand stands for helping you make the best of every occasion using flowers. Pretty <laughs> sure I butchered that, but it's along those lines. <laughs> and they thought... What, what we know just in our office as people who care about flowers and events and gifting and delivery, we know, or at least we believe we know, that giving red roses at Valentine's Day is actually a really bad idea. And in the UK, red roses is the number one selling skew. Like everyone wants red roses. You think Valentine's Day, you think red roses. That's almost the symbol of Valentine's Day. Yeah. But they thought this is, we think this is actually a bad choice. So they ran a whole bunch of research across a whole bunch of different markets. And I'll talk just about the UK. What they learned is in the UK, people who give red roses kind of freely admit they know it's overpriced. They know it's a last minute choice. They know it's kind of lazy. It's the default option. And buying a dozen red roses costs you 50, 80, 100 pounds. Um, and that's all very nice. But they sort of know deep down that there's a better answer out there. It's a bit lazy. People who receive red roses reported at step even further. They know it's overpriced. They actually, they know you paid the most, but to me it's worth the least. They know you probably got it at the gas station or last minute. It's probably the only thing they had in stock because it's Valentine's Day and we're being lazy. 
if you bought six, 12, 24 roses, you paid more money, but I don't really care. And deep down, I kind of disrespect your choice of red roses because it's deeply unoriginal. And that means you are not making the best indication for me at all. <laughs> so they informed their intuition. And by the way, they got quite different results in different European countries and even with different demographics in the UK. So this is not true everywhere, but it was yeah. very true in the UK. So they informed their intuition. They were like, wow, there's something to do here. They then became so convinced by this data that they decided to completely ban selling red roses at all. We said, they said, for our consumers, we're not gonna let you make this mistake. We are gonna not sell roses at all. The number one selling skew, and we're gonna cause you to pick something else. And what this got them was a four times year on year revenue increase in the Valentine's Day period and a 51% share of media voice. And this wow. is a company which is a small scale up in the UK that's become very big recently, but it's not well known. They made this very big, splashy move, completely aligned to their brand, totally counterintuitive, but delivered these such great results. And it's those types of things. So when I talk about companies being bolder, the pandemic, using data more often, realizing that consumer patterns and behaviors are shifting at an ever-increasing rate, has now started to lead to these very bold moves. And delisting the number one selling skew because you're so convinced it's a good idea and so aligned your brand value that you kind of almost have to do it after you discover this through good research. Yeah, that's really exciting. And I think that's one of the permanent shifts that we see everywhere. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I think even e-commerce is another fine example of such where, you know, this quote unquote, if you will, new normal is changing how we shop and e-commerce is becoming much, much more prevalent. Um, even Shopify looking at their numbers in the past quarter recognizing again a lot of these businesses are really starting to find uh, that online shopping is becoming more and more important as a result of a lot of that so i mean i, I don't want to get too maybe heavy into the theory and the methodologies of consumer research but i know you guys uh, at, at a test are really good at doing um, methods around things like consumer profiling so and i noticed that has come up a lot even in uh, theory conversations and knowing that your customer in both, you know, the present and the future, I think, can help understand your target audience wants. You gave a really fine example of that, in fact. Um, you know, are there changes even within the existing market in that how should businesses maybe start creating a consumer profile project if they haven't done so already? So I think even this uh, e-commerce uh, flower uh, company is a good example where maybe how would have they started a consumer profile project if they were working with you? Yeah, well, deep down at the test, we believe that it should be very easy to start activities like consumer profiling. And because we've tried to make it so easy, you should use it far more often. Mm -hmm. So very traditionally, and I'm going to generalize a lot here with apologies, but very traditionally, you would do consumer profiling once a year to inform all your decisions, or you would do consumer profiling when you get around to the point that you need to, when you're quite far down in innovation funnel. Um, what we say is, I think, you should start to challenge and break those rules. You should do consumer profiling when you've got 50 different ideas for actions you could take just to get directional reads on each of them. And maybe you combine some of those 50 ideas and you create ideas 51 through 70, and maybe those perform better than the first 50 because of what you learned along the way. This should be a much more continuous thing. And that's why we talk so much about being easy to start. Being Doing research quickly is completely pointless. Having a fast cycle time and it being easier to simply start and execute more often, that is useful and causes businesses to be able to work in different ways, which are quite new. So consumer profiling isn't something you should do once a year, once a quarter, or whenever you remember. 
it's something that should be a continuous input, a bit like marketing dashboards or your performance on Shopify or your performance in digital marketing channels. It should be an activity like that, where it's informing many things that you do at many different stages of maturity across all your product lines and consumer segments and target groups. That, I think, is the biggest paradigm out there. So I think the biggest shift we've seen in the last six years, and particularly in the last two years, is consumer profiling is something that you can do much more often. It's easier than ever before, which means you can put it in more places and benefit from it more often be right more often exactly like Wim and Wilde did in that one very extreme case. I know as a, as a fellow marketer myself, sometimes data can be extraordinarily intimidating. Um, and then there's the opportunity to try and uh, marry, if you will, primary and secondary data as well. Often I find in my, even my own experience that, you know, a lot of the times perhaps even research can get disregarded to the simple fact that we assume that democratizing data is a whole lot harder than, you know, it may actually be. What, you know, is maybe um, some advice that you would have for potential marketers when they're maybe a little bit intimidated by data, but they really want to get started, say, with a project? Is there a secondary uh, means that they can start with and then potentially work into primary uh, data research? Yeah, my, 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 my suggestion is always um, get started at small scale and that creating a whole project and a whole brief and a whole complex uh, management plan, it kind of is daunting because you have to guess what you want at the end, at the mm -hmm. beginning. You can't change it in the middle based on what you learn along the way. And also businesses move so quickly right now, kind of guessing what I want at the end of a multi-week or multi-month process is kind of unacceptable now. Um, so my suggestion is always get started at small scale, um, make it easy to start, make it easy to get directional reads on specific things, and you'll start to learn where you should look next. And this is, you know, highly inspired by the way I used to work as a geneticist. Just throw out some feelers and there's nothing to see over here in the middle or on the right. But if you look up and you look down, that's where some value is. So let's explore both those directions next and we won't explore the, the middle three at the moment. Like working that way is now possible and I think is highly recommended. Cool. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. Actually, progress, not perfection, let's be honest, right? And I think marketers need to realize, too, that there is a level of uh, just jumping in rather than maybe dipping your toes. So I think that's really great advice. Um, and getting started, obviously, is the most important part of that. So, um, you know, I don't want to pivot too much here, but we're kind of actually getting into a bit of a, a realm of what creative uh, testing actually experiences in terms of uh, market research and, and consumer profiling, etc. So uh, I think it goes without saying that consumer research does support the ability to understand your consumers and their needs. We've been talking about it here pretty extensively. But how can businesses learn to take this information then and maybe launch it further into their marketing campaign with confidence. So maybe really using that insights and, and taking it and applying it in an action-based concept. Yeah, I think the critical thing, and this is just being very honest about how the real world works, mm -hmm. we know that businesses have the ability to only receive and act upon a certain amount of data in any given period uh, in that if you are set up to launch specific campaigns and specific cycles for creative uh, creative work or you have a creative team and you have to set them up in a direction and you can't constantly change it getting research every day isn't going to help that go faster it's getting research at the right times with the right level of certainty informing the intuitions and dissolving the doubt but where it helps your existing creative process go faster so 
you know, counterintuitively, having more data is not the right answer. If you can't digest it because your metabolic rate is too slow or too different or you just don't want to, then having more data is actually useless most of the time. I think the key is to be um, really cognizant about when you engage with creative testing and about how you potentially reform parts of your creative process to ingest that data when it's actually useful. So a big, I mean, let's rewind 10 years where, um, and I'm going to stereotype a lot here, a, a team would look at all the data we can get off the shelf, run some research projects to add some fresh data to that. Now we've got all of the resources in our hands that we can use to create a new creative project and we go out and execute the best that we can. And it either works or it doesn't work based on the quality of this foundation that we built and how we interpreted data on the spot. That is not how science works, for example. <laughs> science works with, we have a bunch of hypotheses top down. Our job is to completely disprove all of them until we believe them. And then at the very end, we are going to peer review this and make sure that what we did is actually acceptable to other people with a skeptical lens. And that therefore what we're gonna do along the way is throw out lots of feelers ingest information at all stages, not just the beginning and just at the end. We are going to try and fail in many different small ways, but in a contained way. So some of the hacks and tricks that some of our clients use are, um, when it comes to creative testing specifically, test um, new ideas, but without your brand attached to them. Um, test your creative ideas, but attach your competitors' brands to them. Test your competitors' ideas, but attach to your brand. <laughs> explore completely wild uh, paradigms and assumptions things that you assume cannot work just at small scale explore them and figure out you know what something's changed in the last three years or because of the pandemic that means that this creative is now you know plausible and acceptable rather than too edgy and dangerous as it was five years ago the world moves very quickly and we should be constantly testing exploring these assumptions and that's why I say that sort of removing the barriers to doing research, making it easy to start, easy to repeat is the key to all of this. And all of that applies to creative testing equally. The world of kind of build data, make our best interpretation and commit a process to it, I think should work the exact opposite way now. And the key is to introduce and use research along the way at many different stages. And that's something we try to make possible. Interesting. I couldn't agree more. I think often that's why, you know, there's maybe a bit friction between creative teams and perhaps insights professionals. Um, uh, perhaps sometimes even in our experience, a lot of the times the creative are working off of, you know, their, their initial concepts and stuff, and they're really attached to this to some degree. And, uh, you know, market research really comes in and, and attempts to try to help through this process. And we do, um, you know, ad testing and, and sprint cycles in, in terms of, uh, of trying to apply some quicker uh, feedback cycles for a lot of these creative industries. And we find that too, yeah, uh, things happen at such a rapid pace where if you're not testing this, you might even run into situations where your creative is even negatively impacting your brand just based off of, you know, something that could happen as a current event two days ago uh, within your region, which has happened with us in the past in terms of working with clients. And, you know, we've been able to flag that. So couldn't agree more. That That's really great. I love the, the science-based approach too. I think a lot of folks tend to forget you know, market research is really based off of that assumption. So I, I appreciate you kind of sharing and diving in a little bit more from that uh, aspect. I think uh, us market researchers really uh, definitely align with that uh, thinking. So, uh, I mean, less about, you know, this high level stuff in terms of concept testing and uh, consumer research. You know, why don't we round off this conversation and, and talk a little bit more a test, uh, about a test. I know uh, you guys kind of support this area of research and I want to 
maybe go more into um, how you guys are providing a uh, service as a software in terms of automation and moving into consumer research. So I'll leave the floor up to you and I wouldn't mind learning more about the automation side of a test and maybe how it's helping clients with consumer research. Yeah, I think there's there's sort of two interesting things happening in, in software as a service or SaaS in mm -hmm. consumer research and market research overall. I think there's kind of trend A and trend one and I'm not saying one is better or worse than the other, but they are very different things. So trend A seems to be using software and technology and automation to speed up and make more efficient existing market research processes. So where you would run a project or a brief or a specific static methodology, it is now possible, and there's a whole bunch of people who do this really nicely and well now, to take that same methodology and cause it to happen in a more automated way. We're removing human touch points, we're adding technology, um, we are making it more efficient, there's different steps being linked together better, there's less human intervention, so it's more likely to be right first time with fewer mistakes. And I think there's a whole bunch of, better, a bunch of ways that this is better. So that's kind of taking existing and legacy methodologies, revenue pools and activities and making it better, faster, cheaper than it was before using automation and tech to do it. I think this totally separate end of the spectrum is SaaS that causes you to do more market research in new ways for new people. Um, it is not taking what we used to do and making it more online, more automated, more technical. It's saying, hey, more people in more businesses should use more market research more often. Maybe you never used market research before because you're the CMO, not a research professional. Mm -hmm. We love both of those groups, but most of the market research activity today is conducted by research professionals who do it very, very well and are fantastic at it. And so many other people in many other organizations wish that they could do this far more. The gaps in your data, the holes in your knowledge, the things that you wish you knew. So I think there's a whole bunch of unfulfilled demand out there where research should be, but hasn't yet reached. And I think there's a whole bunch of ways that SaaS and automation and tech and machine learning models can unlock that problem and unlock that demand. And it's by making it simpler to start. It's by making it more believable. It's removing all of the, the sort of stigma and barriers and assumptions about how difficult research is and replacing mm -hmm. it with a sense of confidence. I can do this. Um, how do I write the right questions? Oh, it's already kind of done for me. Well, I'm going to edit it slightly, but I already feel pretty confident in it. Where does the data come from? Is it high quality? Why are people responding to it? I can know all of that very transparently as opposed to it being a black box. So there's a whole bunch of different ways that we can open the demand for market research to the greatest extent it should have always been. And in my view, the market research industry should be between 10 and 50 times larger than it is today. Hmm. That's all just been sitting there waiting for us for the taking. And SaaS business models and automation are making that possible for the first time. So two very different trends about what's happening. One is making what you already do better, faster, cheaper. And then uh, the other being much more about doing this in more places, more often, more frequency. And you can probably tell from my answer to the previous questions that we're, <laughs> we're much more in the second camp here. Yeah. Um, I think there's benefits of doing both. But where it gets valuable is we, we continue to see big, famous companies make mistakes where research would really help them. Um, we like to use the example of Peloton. Peloton <laughs> have a huge marketing budget. They have all the data in the world about their target market. 
such a brilliant brand, so much funding everywhere, such a premium product. But yet they launched a series of ads in um, US, Canada, UK, a bunch of other places that many markets perceive to be like dangerously and visibly sexist and dystopian. Mm. Like they completely bombed it. Sorry, Peloton, if you're listening, but <laughs> you know that you bombed that. If they just looked outside their own building and walked onto the street and asked 10 people, have a look at this, they would have heard from hopefully a bunch of them and introducing some sample bias here. <laughs> um, uh, they would have heard like, there is something really wrong with this and you guys just haven't seen it and you're idiots. But they didn't do it. It's That's one of those places where Crazy. great research, great new input, great new data could have really helped them. But yet they spent loads of money and got huge backlash, wiped a huge, you know, several billion dollars off their market value because they made this such horrible mistake. And if they just conducted one 100 person test on watch my video, tell me what you think, is this great, good to go or something wrong with it? Not even what's wrong with it, not even qualitative feedback, just good to go or something wrong slash serious concerns. They would have known this is one we need to revisit. And the fact that that still happens for the most modern, most technical, most premium, most funded, best known products in the world shows you how much more market research could do for more organizations. And that's why we are here at Test. Yeah, that's wow. That's a really great point. I think Peloton is a fine example of often businesses may end up paying more after, you know, the potential testing. And that's even through, you know, damage control with their branding or further, you know, budget into the, the campaign that they had to essentially scrap at that point. Um, yeah, fantastic example of where creative testing really is important and where, again, it could probably save you from, you know, having to actually uh, double that budget to some degree. So um, we, we experience the same thing with ad testing as well, where a lot of the times we're trying to get uh, milestone information every every seven days to our creative teams for that reason, where if they're concept testing an entire package, you know, a lot of the times the assumption is, is that they should only test the, you know, the TV commercials and maybe not even the social media advertisements as well we, we experience that a lot of the times where even you know the audience is drastically different between the two and they should be testing you know all ad rolls on all types of channels so couldn't agree more that's a really fine example um uh yeah i guess just to even fine uh, finalize our conversation jeremy i really appreciate you taking out the time and having a chat about consumer research and a test as well it sounds like you guys got a really fine platform over there and that you guys are you know working towards as you said filling a lot of the gaps and and where research uh is you know always trying to participate in but i think often does fall short so we even as a market research firm that's why we consider ourselves uh, technology centric we understand that you know there are types of softwares out there that really are important for our clients and we actually actively engage our clients in looking towards the future and really attempting to see how some of these services can uh, support them even from an efficiency perspective you know we're talking a lot about a uh, automation but that's maybe where the market research firms come in as we really are always looking at more efficient ways so if we can figure out how to kind of manage the two you're right i think market research is a really uh, powerful tool moving forward people more people will recognize it especially if it's more accessible at a smaller scale, you look at folks who say own a small startup in an e-commerce industry, you know, it may not be as um, desirable to put money behind an ad testing budget when they have, say, a smaller budget and they're only working as, say, a retailer as a small e-commerce. However, it sounds like, um, you know, software 
like yours will really help kind of bridge that gap where folks can actually attain more information about their market research audience and can actually move forward on some things. So that's really cool. I think um, thanks for sharing. And yeah, if you want to learn more about a test, please go to www.askatest.com and yeah, uh, learn more about consumer research and taking the guest out of research. So thanks again. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to chat and um, do feel free to try our product. We actually offer a free version where you can see how it works and give it a go for real for these exact things around exploring how tools like this work and what could it do for you that's new and different. Like that's quite fun. We decided to make that free to give that gift away to people who want to try it. So give it a go. Thank you so much for having me on. Pleasure to speak and exciting to hear what you're doing too. And uh, see you soon. Thank you.